2: hello folks just a little bit of chat here before the uh, jingle and the rest of the episode continues uh so yeah sponsorship so this episode is sponsored by italki uh they're my main sponsor uh, i got an email recently from someone saying uh how much are the teachers on italki in dollars how much is the price what's the price per lesson well it depends uh on the teacher really you need to go and check out all the different teachers and see what their different prices are because they'll have different prices depending on their skills their experience uh their particular focus um and so you know different prices they go from i just had a quick look uh, there's people here for like 14 dollars uh i guess an hour, 14 dollars an hour there's a guy called richard from the uk who's 7.75 uh, $7. dollars an hour tim is 18 dollars an hour max is 12 dollars an hour um you get the idea 11.99 for joseph from the uk uh you get this you get the picture right the, the kind of prices we're talking about they go up and down depending on depending on the person um what you want what you need to do uh, if if you're interested in getting into italki uh, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk right and then basically you just look through all the teachers that they have and you can use the search function to you know just focus on teachers from particular places like you could just choose uh people uh, teaching English from the UK and you'll come up with all the, the British people there and you can look at their profiles they should have little videos as well where they introduce themselves and talk about their experience and the way that they teach English and then you can just book uh, time with them directly there on the page there's a little calendar and you can just book yourself uh, some time you could have a trial lesson or a full lesson it's totally up to you that's it basically check out the teachers pick the one that you like and book some time and Bob's your uncle, you've got some English lessons on Skype, and it's all really convenient. It's a really slick service, I have to say, and it's a very... It's a very well-established uh, platform now, italki. They've they've been featured in lots of different uh, uh, newspapers and things like the Huffington Post, uh, the Guardian, the BBC, Business Insider. They've all featured italki in some way. So check it out, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. Uh, okay, now here's the next part of the Alan Partridge uh, series. It's quite a long episode, as you've noticed, but I really hope that you stick Uh, with this all the way through to the end please do listen to the entire thing because it's kind of building that's the idea, I planned it that way I'm kind of introducing you to the character Uh, and in this episode I think things get probably more interesting because uh, we're dealing with some of the later Alan Partridge material, which is much more interesting and there's more depth and it's actually funnier. So listen all the way through to the end to to properly appreciate this. Okay, thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Here's the next part of this little series I'm doing about British comedy TV show Alan Partridge. Uh, you should listen to part one before you listen to this, obviously. In part one, we um, basically explored who is Alan Partridge, what's the kind of profile of his character, and we listened to a few, a couple of clips that kind of showed us where Alan comes from, uh, that he started out uh, as, an, as a sports reporter and then moved into becoming a chat show host And he had one series of his chat show uh, on the radio and another series uh, on the TV. And um, so his actual his chat show series ended in disaster, actually, when he accidentally shot a man to death during an interview. So the very last episode of the TV series, um, he's interviewing someone and he accidentally shoots him to death and it's very tragic and and all that sort of thing. So the, the, the chat show series one finished in complete disaster. Now, the, the next clip we're going to listen to here, and what we're doing is listening to some comedy clips and then sort of breaking them down and helping you to understand them. All right, that's the, that's the aim here. If you don't find them funny, that's all right. The, the main thing, I suppose, is that we learn some English from it but if you are finding it funny in the process, then wonderful, and you could maybe explore more episodes of Alan Partridge, uh, the TV show, the books, and the, the movie, and all that sort of stuff, and you could really enjoy it, and it might help you improve your English even more. I said in the previous episode that most Brits uh, know about Partridge, but uh, learners of English rarely know about him, but if you're interested in Britishness and British English, then I really think you should know about someone like Alan Partridge. So, we're going to move on to the next clip that we're going to listen to. Um, and this is basically Alan interviewing um, his boss, Tony Hares, uh, on TV. And this is from the Knowing Me, Knowing Yule Uh, Christmas special from 1995. So there was a Christmas special of Knowing Me, Knowing You, which was made as part of a contractual obligation in his deal with the BBC. That's the only reason it happened. And in that episode, he featured Tony Hares. Tony Hares was the chief commissioning editor of the BBC at the time. Uh, Not in reality. I mean, Again, a fictional character, um, as Alan is a fictional character. The whole thing's fictional. But anyway, in the fictional world of Alan Partridge, he invites his boss... Uh, onto the show, this is the man who decides which programs are going to be on the telly, and inviting Tony hares is a terrible decision because Alan is hoping to get a second series of his chat show from Tony hares. basically, being on the BBC, having a chat show on primetime television is like the, the the status that Alan wants. This is what he really cares about basically this is the most important thing in the world for him is achieving the level of celebrity that he thinks he deserves. And so he's hoping to get a second series of his chat show from Tony Hares. But Hares hasn't made the decision yet. And he's probably not going to give it to him anyway, because Alan's TV show was a a disaster. And Alan Partridge is is basically a walking disaster, even though he doesn't realise it himself. So Alan interviews Tony, and it's very awkward. Alan is mainly concerned about whether he's got a second series of his chat show. He's assuming that he's got it because of his inflated sense of self-worth. Which might be him subconsciously compensating for some deep issues that he has. Alan's a bit of a mystery. We don't really understand why he behaves in the way that he does, but we we think and we, we've got pretty good indications that he's got some serious issues going on in his life. He's, uncredi- he's incredibly unaware of himself, which is somehow a social crime in the UK. I think we're all very self-aware. And uh, if, you're, if you come across as not being really aware of yourself somehow, of not self-conscious and not self-aware, then that's kind of we find that a bit of a, a sort of jarring thing socially. You have to be aware of who you are and make, self, make self-referential jokes or make fun of yourself. Alan can't do that. Um, so the interview with his boss comes off the rails when Alan gets caught up in attempting to work out if he's going to get a second series of the chat show. And it seems that even Tony Hares is deciding he's making the, the decision based on how the, the show goes anyway. So here are some things to look out for. Look out for the awkwardness of Alan having his boss on the chat show. There's a palpable sense of awkwardness here. Uh, Look out for how Tony talks about having to cut jobs at the BBC, um, which again doesn't sound good for Alan. Look out for how Alan's metaphor about Tony ringing the changes doesn't really work. There's a phrase which is to ring the changes And Alan attempts to construct this metaphor which doesn't work and it ends up sounding a bit weirdly rude... Um, So, again, another metaphor that breaks down. Uh, Watch out for how Alan keeps pressing for confirmation of the second series, how he assumes that he's got one, although it's obvious to us that he hasn't, and how Alan ultimately ruins it for himself, and then how he attempts to appear politically correct, but he's very awkward about certain issues. Okay, so watch out for those things as we now uh, listen to Alan interviewing Tony Hares, his boss, uh, on Knowing Me, Knowing Yule the Christmas special.
3: Now, this man looks like a clerk, or possibly someone who works in a bank, but in fact, he's my new boss, the new chief commissioning editor of BBC television, Mr Tony Hayes! (laughs) Tony, uh, welcome to the show. Before you came to the BBC... You were chairman of Euro International Airlines, and whilst you were there, you sacked over 2,000 people. <laughs> Will you be doing the same at the BBC?
4: Well, I, I don't know about that, Alan, but uh, if, I, if I can borrow uh, an image from your very wonderful musical opening there, I, I hope to ring some changes.
3: My show is your bell. <laughs> please, please peel it. Peel, peel my bell. <laughs> Um, Sorry, just just tell us what you're going to do at the BBC.
4: Right, well, um, I will be looking at our output very carefully. We we live in a market economy, and the BBC should be no exception, that's how I see it. So um, every programme will have to justify itself, and, you know, if it's a lame duck, it may have to go.
3: Well, let me assure you that knowing me knowing you with Alan Partridge is a very healthy duck... With, uh, with plenty of legs. So um, <laughs> so you can you can axe any show you like. As long as you tell me I'm going to get a second series, please, please tell me I've got a second series, boss. <laughs> 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 do, do, do you want to do that? Just, just, just to clear the air? I know this is not really the, the, the time. No, it's, uh, it's
4: not really the, the time,
3: no. No, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. For, I put you on the spot there. I'm sorry, I, I'm embarrassed you. I, everyone's embarrassed. <laughs> it's gone, it's gone. What's gone? That moment. The moment's gone. Oh, good. I, I thought you meant the second series. Now, um, now, Christmas at home... Is, I'm sorry, I'm just all that faffing around, it won't, it won't affect my chances of a second series.
4: No, it uh, won't affect the decision.
3: You, you mean the decision's been taken? Decisions are made and unmade
4: all the time, Alan.
3: Right, so the decision might not have been made. <laughs> The decision is pending. What you're saying is, if tonight's show goes well, I will get a second series. (laughs) Don't don't say anything. Don't don't, don't say a word. (laughs) Now, uh, Tony, what kind of a Christmas did you have?
4: Well, you know, traditional Christmas tree, turkey, all the children together. Midnight Mass? No, I'm Jewish. Are you? Mm. (laughs) Jews
3: are good. (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: All right, then. So let's go through that again. All right. We're going to have a little look at that again and break it down and uh, check out some of the specific things that there was actually quite a lot of nice language in there. Because there were, there was language of speculation about whether he's got a second series or not, conditional structures and things. So let's go back into that and we'll see, um, we'll see what we find here. So Alan, uh, gets the attention of Tony Hares. They move down to the sofa to begin the interview and then, uh, we end up with this. Okay, here we go.
3: Tony, uh, welcome to the show. Before you came to the BBC, you were chairman of Euro International Airlines and whilst you were there, you sacked over 2,000 people. You were chairman of Euro International
2: Airlines, and whilst you were there, you sacked over, what, 200 people, 2,000 people? He sacked loads of people. To sack someone means to fire someone. It's the same thing. You're fired, uh, you're sacked. It means that you're telling someone they have to go, you know. That old thing. I've been through that language before. What usually happens when I explain that is that I then explain the phrase to let someone go so I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Oh, you mean I'm sacked. Uh, I don't know why they always say we're going to have to let you go. It's as if you're straining to get away. And they're like, okay, we'll let you go free. Anyway, uh, three words, four words, okay, to sack someone, to fire someone, to let someone go, and to dismiss someone. Uh, They also work in passive forms, to be fired or to get fired, to get sacked. Um, to get dismissed or to be dismissed and to be let go okay but anyway he tony hairs used to be the chairman of this airline and he he uh, sacked uh, hundreds of people uh, will you be doing the same thing at the bbc and this is <laughs> a stupid question really i suppose it's i suppose he's trying to be he's trying to cover the story um you know because uh, this is the context in which tony hares has been brought in to make the to streamline the, the bbc and make it work like a company so you know it's it's a it's an angle but it's the sort of thing you'd read in the sunday newspapers rather than something uh, the, an, an interview on an entertainment show like this and it swiftly goes wrong because obviously alan shouldn't have even invited him on in the first place
3: will you be doing the same at the bbc
4: <laughs> well I, I don't know about that alan but uh... If I, if I can borrow uh, an image from your very wonderful musical opening there, I, I hope to ring some changes. If I can
2: borrow an image from your wonderful musical opening, I hope to ring some changes. So it's just a phrase, to ring the changes or ring some changes. just means to you know make various changes. I hope to ring the changes. Okay. And then this is where Alan attempts to construct a metaphor that doesn't work. And he says, my show is your bell. Because, I mean, it's Christmas, so there would have been bell ringers and things as well. Uh, but he says, my show is your bell please peel it now to peel a bell uh that's got a kind of two meanings so this is a sort of a rude innuendo but it's an accidental rude innuendo by making this bizarre metaphor alan uh inadvertently ends up saying something that sounds quite rude so to peel a bell is another way of saying to ring a bell you know ding ding that's to peel a bell to hit it with a hammer Uh, so he says my show is your bell please peel peel it peel my bell But it also sounds like, well, peel would be to like remove a layer of skin, like you peel an orange and a purse. If a man has a bell, do you know, you can imagine what that is? uh, To peel my bell. It's just purely accidental and very awkward and clumsy uh, metaphor. So, uh, my show is your bell, uh, because he's going to ring the changes. So uh, please feel free to peel it. Peel peel my bell.
3: Uh, What? My show is your bell. Please, please, peel it. Peel, peel my bell. Um, I'm sorry. Just, just tell us what you're going to do at the BBC.
4: Right, well, um, I will be looking at our output very carefully. We, we live in a market economy, and the BBC should be no exception. That's how I see it. So um, every programme will have to justify itself, and, you know, if it's a lame duck, it may have to go.
2: If it's a lame duck, it may have to go. Okay, so a lame duck is basically a sort of a useless thing, something that's unsuccessful or ineffectual, um, basically something that doesn't work is a lame duck. Okay, so uh, if it's a lame duck, it will have to go. Okay, and then, again, Alan attempts another metaphor. He says, well, uh, I can assure you that the, this show is a very healthy duck with plenty of legs. But, I mean, ducks usually only have two legs, so plenty of legs. I mean, when Alan is put under pressure, he comes out with some serious nonsense uh, while attempting to appear professional. Every
4: programme will have to justify itself, and, you know, if it's a lame duck, it may have to go. Well, let
3: me assure you that knowing me knowing you with Alan Partridge is a very healthy duck... With, uh, with plenty of legs. So, um, <laughs> so you, can, you can axe any show you like. As long as you tell me I'm going to get a second series, please, please tell me I've got a second series, boss.
2: <laughs> now, this is the sort of thing that TV presenters do. They sort of might go into this kind of voice like this. Oh, sometimes TV presenters act kind of strangely. They've got certain presentational ticks or little weird things that presenters do when they are presenting tv shows they are oh, they pretend to sort of oh please please no they might pretend to do weird things like that i mean it must be the same in your countries the way that presenters present things they just sometimes do odd things that we wouldn't normally do in real life and this is an example of that alan attempting to make this into a light-hearted situation oh just tell me i'm gonna get a series boss uh, and uh, Tony just laughs awkwardly, and uh, he can't tell him he's getting a second series because obviously he's not.
3: Can I get a second series, please, please tell me I've got a second series, boss. <laughs> 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 do, do, do you want to do that, just, just just to clear the air? I know this is not really the, the, the time. No, it's, I... it's
4: not really the, the time. No
3: no you're absolutely right. i'm sorry i'm sorry if i, I put you on the spot there i'm sorry i'm embarrassed you everyone's embarrassed it's gone it's gone what's gone
2: so this is where the, the scene turns this is where alan starts to go a bit wrong uh it's it's gone it's gone and, and tony Hes means that that moment is gone but alan's thinking it's the second series
3: I've, everyone's embarrassed
4: <laughs> it's gone it's gone what's gone that moment, the moment's gone. Oh, good.
3: I thought you meant the second series. <laughs> now, um, now, Christmas at home is... I'm sorry, I'm just all that faffing around, it won't, it won't affect my chances of a second series. All that
2: faffing around. Faffing around is like messing around, sort of doing things that are not very important, uh, messing about, faffing around, faffing about. All that faffing around, that's not going to affect my, my chances of a second series. And I think this is where we start to get into some of the interesting language. So all that faffing around, it's not going to affect my chances of a second series.
4: No, it uh, won't affect the decision. (laughs) You, You mean the
3: decision's been taken?
2: The decision's been taken. The decision's been taken.
4: Decisions are made and unmade all the time, Alan.
2: So, there you, you can, interesting, you can, you can make a decision, you can take a decision as well. Usually, we use take a decision when it's a sort of like a business decision. Maybe even by agreement at a meeting, you might take a decision at a, at a meeting. And make a decision is, is the more common collocation, I think.
3: Right, so the decision might not have been made. Ah,
2: the decision might not have been made. Okay, that's a nice one. There's one of those um, might have, should have, could have, would have things, isn't it? The decision might not have been made. Uh, the decision might have been made. It means the decision. So if if you're not entirely sure that the decision was made, so it's like saying maybe the decision was made, but you want to use might, you would have to construct it with have and then a past participle. Okay. That's just the way that modal verb works. You've got might and may and could, um, for example. And uh, so the decision might not have been taken, referring to the past. Okay. Okay if it's referring to the future, it, it would be the decision might not be taken. All right? If it's the future, but if it's referring to the past, it might not have been taken.
4: Decisions are made and unmade all the time, Alan. Right, so the decision might not have been made. <laughs> the decision is pending.
2: That's a good one. The decision is pending. If something is pending, it means we're waiting for it to come through. We're kind of waiting for it to be done, let's say. it's It's coming... We're just waiting for it. The decision is pending. So the decision might not have been
3: made. (laughs) The decision is pending. What you're saying is, if tonight's show goes well, I will get a second series. First conditional, right? If
2: tonight's show goes well, I will get a second series. Just, I guess, the the main thing to notice there is that if tonight's uh, show goes well. So we've got if and then a present tense. What a lot of people do uh, A lot of learners of English do wrong here Is they go if and then will In the same clause So they, they might say if uh, the show will go well I will get a second series But you shouldn't put will with the if In the if clause It comes in the next clause If the show goes well I will get a second series um, Yeah
3: <laughs> don't, don't say anything Don't, don't, don't say a word
4: <laughs> Now uh,
3: Tony What kind of a Christmas did you have?
4: Well, you know, traditional Christmas tree, turkey, all the children together. Midnight mass? No, I'm Jewish.
3: Are you? Mm.
4: <laughs> 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 okay, so
2: Alan, for some reason, uh, t- has a weird reaction to when he finds out that Tony Hares is Jewish. I think it's because it puts him on edge. I don't know if it's because Alan is like uh, prejudice. And he doesn't like Jews. I don't. I don't know if it's that exactly. I mean that that never ever comes up in any of the other shows. It's never a theme that comes up. I think the the problem is more that Alan suddenly feels um, like he's out of his depth, or he suddenly feels uh, put off uh, upon knowing that because he feels uncomfortable with the with that sort of thing. So it's not that he's sort of against uh jewish people i suppose i think he just feels like it's controversial and he suddenly feels uncomfortable and he feels the um the compulsion to suddenly you know make sure that everyone knows that that he likes jewish people he's like i like jews um so you know this is the example of of partridge kind of having an undeveloped sense of of things and also probably being very small-minded and not really knowing why but feeling like that's the guy's religious uh, identity is somehow controversial and he has to come across as being like liberal and open-minded but it's quite difficult for him
3: good night mass no i'm jewish
2: are you? Mm. <laughs> jews are good <laughs> So it's really cringe television at this point. I mean, um, this is still fairly early on in the Partridge uh, sort of storyline or whatever. And in these days, in those days, the, the show was really cringe based. When you cringe, that's when it's like suddenly it's very uncomfortable and awkward to watch. And it makes you kind of go, ooh, cringe comedy was, a, was definitely a, a thing uh, around the late 1990s and in the 2000s. And you've got shows like um, uh, The Office is a very good example of cringe comedy, because the whole thing is so cringeworthy all the time. It's so awkward and embarrassing. It's cringy, But then later on, Alan becomes slightly less cringy in some ways. Uh, it's still quite cringeworthy, but um, he, he sort of develops and gets a lot more depth in his character. Um, it's interesting. So later on, actually, Alan, in that show, has a kind of a breakdown live on air, and he ends up punching Tony Hares in the face accidentally with a turkey stuck on his hand. So he ends up with a turkey, the Christmas turkey stuck on his hand, and he punches Tony Hares as he has a kind of a breakdown. And then a year or two later, there was a new series about Alan Partridge, and it was called I'm Alan Partridge. And for me, this is when Alan really became a brilliant character. In I'm Alan Partridge, we follow Alan in his normal life. Previously, we saw his awkward encounters with guests and a lot of very cringeworthy moments on his show, and it worked as a parody and satire of television chat shows and the general cliches of broadcasting. But now we see Alan in his everyday life, and he has similarly awkward encounters with people. We see behind the curtain, Alan struggles to be normal, he's always in TV chat mode. And it's awful. He's got no social skills, even though he thinks he's a great conversationalist. He tries to be charming and normal, and it all goes wrong, but he doesn't realise it. He's completely unaware of himself. In fact, his life at this point is nose diving. It's all falling apart around him but he blindly assumes that he's destined to be a primetime BBC One TV presenter. This is really hard to explain. We just have to hear it and find out. So at this point, Alan's career is really on the rocks. So he's hit his high point of having an admittedly extremely unsuccessful chat show on the BBC. That's been the high point of his career. He's now on the rocks. Uh, He's now hosting a show on local radio in Norwich, um in Norfolk and it's the pre breakfast show which is a very obscure slot and very early it's something like 4:30 until 6:30 a.m on local radio so he's drifted into obscurity and also in his personal life it's it's disarray his personal life is in disarray his wife has left him for her fitness instructor and we gradually learn more and more about this and essentially it's largely his fault because he's Alan Partridge and he's driven her crazy He's petty, he's domineering, he's arrogant, he's unromantic, selfish, careless, career-oriented. Why is this character so fascinating for the viewer? I'm not really sure. But he's been thrown out of his house by his wife, and now he's living in a travel tavern. And this is a kind of a roadside motel, a kind of cheap hotel near a motorway. But he's convinced that things will get better because he's certain that the BBC will give him a second series of his chat show. He's even about to buy a five-bedroom house... He's utterly deluded about himself, and it's quite sad. And there's sort of darkness lurking just under the surface. In fact, Alan, later on, does have a a nervous breakdown, and he ends up binging on Toblerone chocolate bars and driving to Dundee in Scotland in bare feet with no shoes on. But that's later on. At this point, his career is just basically just on the rocks after failing to get um, the second series of the chat show. And so the first clip we're going to listen to is um alan meets um the caretaker of the um travel tavern his name is michael michael is a geordie he comes from newcastle people from newcastle we call them geordies and uh they often have a strong accent and so alan here meets michael the geordie and they talk about his accent so Michael works as a caretaker at the travel tavern. He's from Newcastle and he used to be in the army as well. And Alan strikes up a sort of friendship with Michael, but at first Michael is, is hard to understand because of his accent. So here are some things to look out for. First of all, we hear Alan at the front desk of the travel tavern talking to one of the girls there at reception. So look out for the way the girl Sophie on reception is kind of subtly insulting Alan and making fun of him while, main, while remaining professional. She's kind of making fun fun of him without him realizing it uh listen out for alan's prejudice against people from the north and then also how alan is is fascinated by uh michael's horrible experiences in the army okay now this is going to come flying past at quite high speed so see if see what you can catch when you listen to to it for the first time and then we'll break it down
3: uh sophie
1: Mr. Partridge?
3: As you know, at the end of the week, I'm, I'm meeting Tony Hayes at the BBC. And he, he is Mr. Numero One. And uh, the, the problem is, I've, I've got some rude daubings on the side of my car.
1: Can you still drive the car?
3: Well, yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, that's... Do you know what it says on the side of my car? Tosser? <laughs> no. no, it, you're, you're in the right ballpark, eh? It, no, it, it um, actually says uh, cock piss partridge. Is
1: everything really all right? Mr. Partridge um, <laughs> <laughs> has, got, has got some rude graffiti. <laughs> graffiti?
5: Uh, what, in the hotel?
3: No, no, God, there's, there's never any graffiti in the hotel. Although, in The Gents a couple of weeks ago, I did see someone had drawn a, a lady's part. <laughs> It's quite detailed. Mm. The guy obviously had talent. But so no, it's, it's it's not the it's not not the, no, it's, it's on the side of my car. It says cock, piss, partridge, which is uh, which is, illegal. is She new?
1: Yes, she is. Um, I mean,
3: I'm basically driving out in an obscene publication. I'd love to get my hands on the bastard or bitch. Might be a lady. Did so, so, I take five minutes? Yes, of course. they mm. <laughs> enough for a fag.
5: Don't worry about your car, Alan.
3: I'll get Michael to sort it out for okay. you. OK. Oh, talking the devil. Uh, Morning, Mr Partridge. Yeah, I was just, Michael, Michael I was just saying to uh, Susan, a uh, bit of a job for you. Uh, unfortunately, some vandals have sworn all over my car again.
0: <laughs> vandals, eh, Mr Partridge, you know? Makes a wonder what it's all boot. Yeah. <laughs> a boot? Aye, you know, vandals, you know. What, what is it all about? Oh, about, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult
3: to understand the, uh, the Geordie
0: people. <laughs> you know... What I reckon is that if they had the sales proper jobs, they wouldn't be up to all this, you know, larking every night. What?
1: <laughs> what I'm
0: saying is that, like, if they had the cells proper jobs, you know, for a gun till, then they wouldn't it. You're know, from broken homes. Sorry, that was just a noise. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all, all I got there was uh, broken homes, and a, a broken home is not an excuse for evil. You look at you. Do you uh, go around drawing, I don't know, peephole bras on the
0: wall? I, but. <laughs> It was different for me, like, because, you know, I, w- I was in the army when I was 17. Well, there you go. They taught you a trade. Minor repairs. Aye. That and killing.
3: Really? <laughs> oh, aye. I've seen some terrible things, mind. What, like like three men burning in a tank, going, oh. <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to know, Mr. Partridge. I'll be honest, I'm pretty curious. <laughs> I, I'd basically like to understand man's inhumanity to man. Yeah. And, and then make a programme about it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, regarding the uh, graffiti, if you could uh, kill that. <laughs> um, uh, I'll see you read me, uh, me, me old uh, fishy on a dishy.
0: <laughs> I'll do just like a quick fix on it for now. Right, get- you've gone again. Good night.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, I wonder how much of that you could understand. All right, folks, don't worry. I'm here to help. OK, I'm, I'm trying to help anyway so first of all alan has an interaction with sophie and sophie's kind of she finds alan ridiculous and she makes fun of him and she can't stop laughing she can't stop giggling when he says his stupid things and she has to keep leaving the front desk because she she keeps giggling and the other woman susan is there she's more professional she sort of takes over and then well then he um well let's see let's go through it again uh sophie so you understand the problem here that Alan has got, that someone, a vandal, a graf- a, someone has uh, written some rude graffiti on the side of his car and it says cock piss partridge on the side of the car, <laughs> um, which, uh, I mean, it just shows <laughs> that I guess people, the general public don't like him. Cock piss partridge. It's a pretty good insult. And so he's trying to get this across to the girls on reception and to try and find a solution to it.
3: Partridge. as you know
2: and and so he uh, he says uh, you know some vandals have written some rude daubings on the side of my car just the choice of the word daubings no one uses the word daubings it's like a weird sort of formal official word um you know like the way that on on the train you know the the, the, the conductor on the train uses special train language like you know uh you know your next station stop is Lemington spa please alight the train here alight the train. This train terminates here. Please alight for services to Stratford. Alight. No one says alight in real life. You would say get off the train. But for some reason on the train, they're saying please alight here for services to Stratford. Um, And similarly, Alan speaks in this kind of register where he uses words like this that come from a more formal uh, register, which used in everyday uh, situations just doesn't work. And it makes him come across as yeah, I mean, he's like a, TV pre- a bad TV presenter just stuck in normal life. I've got some rude daubings on the side of my car.
3: Uh, Sophie.
1: <whistles> Mr. Partridge. As you know, at
3: the end of the week, I'm, I'm meeting Tony Hayes at the BBC. And he, he is Mr. Numero One. And uh, the, the problem is I've, I've got some rude daubings on the side of my car. Can you still drive the car? Well, yeah, yeah. Be, I mean, that's. Do you know what it says on the side of my car?
1: Tosser?
2: <laughs> okay, I like the way she, she actually offers a suggestion as to what it might say on the car. Because <laughs> she obviously thinks he's a tosser. So I've got some rude daubings. Um, you know, do, you, do, you know, do you know what it says? Uh, uh, tosser? Um, it's a uh, nice little insult.
3: Do you know what it says on the side of my car? Tosser? You're in the right ballpark, it, no, it, it um, actually says
2: uh, cock, piss, partridge. <laughs> right, Sophie's now g- giggling and turning away because she can't stop laughing at Alan. Is it- this is kind of an interesting character because we, we, when we watch the show, we're laughing at him. We're definitely laughing at Alan at this point. This is Alan in classic uh, awkward social mode, and we're laughing at him. But they've the the. Creators of the show put this character in, Sophie, who's also laughing at him. So that's kind of interesting. Susan now comes along and says, is everything all right?
1: Are all right? <laughs> Mr. Partridge um,
5: <laughs> has, got, has got some rude graffiti.
2: <laughs> yeah, she, Sophie has to leave because she can't handle it anymore.
5: Graffiti? What, in the hotel?
2: No, no, God, there's, there's
3: never any graffiti
2: in the hotel. Uh, so uh, this at this point, Alan does one of his typical things, which is adding unnecessary details and going into unnecessary details, um, digging himself into a hole. So he says, no, there's never any graffiti in the hotel. But then he feels it necessary to talk about one piece of graffiti that he did see. And he talks about it in too much detail. He said someone had drawn a picture of a woman's part of on the wall of the toilet so also the choice of language is weird a woman's part so he means the you know the genitalia of a woman someone had drawn that on the side of the bathroom but he chooses to say a woman's part and then he continues and says well you know the interesting thing was he was actually quite talented so apparently he he, the the drawing was like particularly good Uh, why it was necessary to say that we don't know But that's just Alan.
3: Although, in The Gents, a couple of weeks ago, I did see someone had drawn a a lady's part.
2: A lady's part as well.
3: (laughs) It's quite detailed. (laughs) The guy obviously had talent. But no, it's it's, it's not the... the, No, it's it's on the side of my car. It says, Cock, Piss, Partridge. (laughs) Which is is illegal. Is she new?
2: So he's saying, is she new, meaning is Sophie new? Because she keeps coming in and then having to go back out because she keeps laughing at Alan. Yes,
1: she is. (laughs)
3: Um,
2: I mean, I'm basically driving around in an obscene publication. I'm driving around in an obscene publication. An obscene publication would be like a book or a magazine or a photo that's considered to be obscene. Uh, an obscene publication. It could be like a, yeah, um, like a like a story or a novel that's considered very offensive. That would be an obscene publication. I'm driving around in an obscene publication.
3: I'd <laughs> love to get my hands on the bastard. Or bitch, might be a lady.
2: I'd love to get my hands on the bastard, which is like saying I'd like to be able to get the person who did it. I'd like, and, but he uses the word bastard. I'd like to get my hands on the bastard, or bitch, could be a lady. So this is, this is Alan attempting to be sort of broad-minded, but it just comes off all wrong. Uh, I'd love to get my hands on the bastard, or bitch, could be a lady. So,
5: so could I take five
3: minutes? Yes, of course. Not <clears throat> enough for a fag.
5: Don't worry
0: about your car, Alan. I'll get Michael to sort it out for okay. you. OK. Oh, talk of the devil. Uh, more, more <laughs>
2: miss so this is where he, he meets uh, Michael, and uh, Susan was just talking about Michael. He was saying She was saying, I'll get Michael to do it for you. And then Michael arrives in the lift, and Alan says, oh, oh, uh, talk of the devil. So this is a phrase that we use when you're talking about someone, and they arrive. And you say, oh, speak of the devil, or talk of the devil. Uh, because I think it comes from the idea that if you talk about the devil, the devil appears. That old superstitious belief. So, oh, talk of the devil, meaning, oh, we were just talking about you. All
5: right, Alan, I'll
3: get Michael to sort it out for okay. you. Okay. Oh, talk of the devil. Uh, more, more <laughs> yeah, I was just, Michael, Michael, I was just saying to uh, Susan, uh, a bit of a job for you. Uh, unfortunately, some vandals have sworn all over my car again.
2: Unfortunately, some vandals have sworn all over my car again. You know, to swear, uh, swear and sworn um so it's swear swore sworn some vandals have sworn all over my car again and then michael says um he says Ah vandals mr partridge it makes you wonder what it's all about so it makes you think oh what's this all about but because of his strong geordie accent alan has got no idea what he said Ah, vandals mr partridge it makes you wonder what it's all about
3: a bit of a job for you uh, unfortunately, some vandals have sworn all over my car again.
0: Vandals, eh, Mr. you know. Makes a wonder what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> a boot? Aye, you know, vandals, you know. What, what is it all about? Oh, about, sorry. Sometimes
3: it's difficult to understand the, uh, the Geordie people.
2: <laughs> that's a good joke. Sometimes it's difficult to understand the Geordie um, people. So it, that's actually quite insulting. And you expect him to say the Geordie accent... But he just says the Geordie people as if the people themselves are um, incomprehensible. Not just the accent, but just the people. It's a, that's a good joke.
3: Sometimes it's difficult to understand the uh, the Geordie
0: people. You know, what I reckon is that if they had themselves proper jobs, they wouldn't be up to all this you know, larking every night. What?
2: <laughs> <laughs> if they had themselves proper jobs, they wouldn't be up to this larking every night. Larking would be like messing around. Okay, doing bad things. If they had themselves proper jobs, they wouldn't be doing all this larking around. If
0: they had themselves proper jobs, they wouldn't be up to all this, you know, larking every night. What? <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, if they had themselves proper jobs, you know, for a gun till, then they wouldn't do it. A lot
2: of them was from broken homes. If they had themselves proper jobs, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. A lot of them are from broken homes.
0: Like they had to sell proper jobs, you know, for the gun till, then they weren't dealing you know, from broken homes. Sorry, that was just a noise.
3: <laughs> All I got there was uh, broken homes, and a, a broken home is not an excuse for evil. You,
2: <laughs> a broken home is not an excuse for evil evil so apparently now the, the the people who did this graffiti he's labeling them as evil it's the sort of thing you get in the daily mail you know they would label petty criminals like that as just evil just outright evil a broken home is no excuse for evil
3: that was uh, broken home, and a, a broken home is not an excuse for evil you look at you do you uh, go around drawing
0: i don't know peephole bras on the wall i but it was different for me like because you know I, w- I was in the army when i was 17
2: It was different for me because I was in the army when I was 17.
0: Well, there you go. They taught you a trade. Minor repairs.
2: They taught you a trade. So in the army, they do teach you a trade. They teach you skills like, you know, carpentry, I suppose, or in this case, minor repairs. And then Michael adds, yeah, that and killing. And at this point, Alan uh, stops the lift from closing. And he's like, oh, really? He's suddenly fascinated by uh, Michael's experiences of horrible things in, in, in the army. And um, so when he says, "Yeah, that and they taught me killing," Alan suddenly he's like, "Oh, really? What what happened?" So he suddenly wants to know, and he comes back uh, to find out more about it, and he, he starts to get more graphic. He's like, "Oh, you know, what kind of things did you see? Like three men burning in a tank, going oh like that." and um and alan's like you know i just i'm i'm quite interested in man's inhuman i'd like to understand man's inhumanity to man and then make a tv show out of it because ultimately all that he cares about is making tv shows that he thinks are going to have mass appeal but which probably will be quite bad taste you know like exploring in great detail the the atrocities of war just for some sort of slightly twisted uh reason so as soon as uh, Michael says, yeah, they taught me killing, Alan is bang, straight in there, and he wants to know all the gory details and then make a TV show out of it.
0: Oh I, w- I was in the army when I was 17. Well, there you go. They taught you a trade. Minor repairs. Aye, that and killing. <laughs> really? Oh, aye. I've seen some terrible things, mind. What, like like three
3: men burning in a tank, going, oh. <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to know, Mr Partridge. I'll be honest, I'm pretty curious. (laughs) I'd basically like to understand man's inhumanity to man. And and then make a programme about it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, regarding the uh, graffiti, if you could uh, kill that. (laughs) I'll see you read me uh, me, me old uh, fishy on a dishy.
0: (laughs) I'll do you you just like a quick fix on it for now. You've gone again. Good night.
2: (laughs) Another typical sort of Alan thing to do where he cuts off the conversation. He just doesn't want to have the conversation with the person anymore. And he finds some way of cutting it off. And in this case, he's just said, you've, you've gone again, which is what you say to someone on the telephone when they when they keep breaking up. Like, sorry, you've gone again. But in this case, it's because of Michael's accent. He's say, oh, sorry, you've gone again. And he just lets the lift close. Okay, so that was an interaction between Alan and Michael there. And this is that was him at the... Um, At the travel tavern where he's now living. Now, uh, we're gonna move on to the next clip here. And this is Alan's pretend meeting with Tony Hares. Uh, so Alan's got another meeting with Tony Hares set up. Remember, he's the chief commissioning editor of the BBC. He's the guy responsible for, uh, whether or not Alan will have a second series of his chat show. And in order to, in order to prepare for the, uh, meeting, he's gonna have a, like a simulation, a pretend meeting with, um, his, personal assistant uh, Lynn. Now, Lynn is a really important character in Alan Partridge. She's his personal assistant, and Lynn is interesting. She's, uh, I guess, a middle-aged woman. She's very conservative. She's very religious. Uh, she's quite shy and retiring, and she's incredibly devoted to Alan. She's like the only person who's always there for him. But Alan constantly is condescending to her. He's quite insulting to her. He he uh, is unaware of her feelings, and he's mean. Really, uh, he doesn't pay her very much and generally she's like his put-upon assistant and so um Lynn is also she's so shy and sort of uh, uh I guess shocked by anything really she's so conservative that uh she's sort of an interesting character for Alan to bounce off and uh um so in this scene uh, Alan is preparing for the interview with Tony Hares uh, by doing a simulation in which Lynn is going to be Tony Hares so um alan grossly overestimates his chances of getting a second series and even the pretend meeting that he has with lynn and lynn is pretending to be tony hairs even that meeting goes wrong with alan demanding to have a second series from lynn and then putting lynn down at the same time and this is how alan imagines his negotiating style to be even in his fantasized versions of situations he fails which is one of the fascinating things he often does this he go, he has these imagined dialogues uh, out loud where he's talking to someone and even the dialogue he's imagining goes wrong and he ends up having an argument so in this case it's a fantasized dialogue with tony Hares, but it's lynn and it kind of goes all wrong and he fails even in that situation so i'd like you to watch out for these things so watch out for how alan imagines his meeting with tony Hares will go including the kind of locker room banter you know that sort of male banter that he expects to have at the sort of high executive level talking to tony about smoking cuban cigars and maybe drinking whiskey he expects to have this kind of gentleman's banter and then watch out for how even his fantasy version of things uh, go completely wrong so lynn comes to the door of alan's um travel tavern This is from I'm Alan Partridge, Series 1, Episode 1, okay? Uh, so he's in the Travel Tavern. There's one little run, long running joke that goes through the whole series, and that's what Alan has in his drawer. There's a drawer on the table in his tab in his room in this hotel, and there's a joke that we never see what's in the drawer, but various characters sometimes accidentally open it and they see something in there, and it's always a shocking moment. So we only we're left to imagine what's in that drawer, and he always has to come up with excuses like, "Oh, that was there when uh, I moved in," for example. But you might hear a reference to that. But let's listen to how Tony sets up this simulated meeting with Tony Hares and how it all goes wrong. OK,
3: Lynn, uh, quick practice for this meeting with Tony Hares this Friday. Oh. Uh, so you be Tony Hares. Hello, Tony. How are you?
5: I'm fine. <laughs> how are you?
3: Um, oh, very busy. I've been working like a Japanese prisoner of war. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but a happy one. You
5: know. would, you, would you like a second series of you chat it?
3: I think it'll be a bit tougher than that, then.
5: We might give you a second series.
3: That's about right. <laughs> okay, uh, small talk. Uh, would you like a Cuban cigar, Tony?
5: Oh, yes, please.
3: Roll on the thighs of a virgin. <laughs> I'm being bawdy, Lynn. Enjoy it.
1: <laughs>
3: well, uh, he might make that noise. be a bit weird. Right, uh, you said you might give me a second series. Why is there any doubt?
5: Things have to be compartmentalised, Alan. You know, for example, in this drawer... You,
1: <laughs> you,
2: um,
5: you have, um, things. And, um, those, um, sometimes you have too many things.
3: Uh, abandon that, Lynn, it's not working. <laughs> uh, okay, doomsday scenario. You, Tony Ayres, have decided not to give me another television series. Why? Be tough.
5: Well, Alan, the ratings for the first series started poorly and went downhill from there.
3: Are you being Lynn or Tony? <coughs> Tony. B- b- be Lynn again. Can I have a second series?
5: But who am I? Just say yes. Yes. Thank
3: you. <laughs> they were there when I moved in.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, that was the Imagine meeting. That was probably a little tough. I'm just, it was quite short, though, so I'm going to go through uh, some of that again. Let's see if we can find the right spot.
3: You be Tony Hayes.
2: Okay. So practice. You be Tony Hayes. Hello,
3: Tony. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> How are you? Um, oh, very busy. I've been working like a Japanese prisoner
2: of war. But, uh, but a happy one. That's a pretty, uh, pretty awkward and weird, um, thing to say, I I think you can imagine. I've been working like a Japanese prisoner of war. It's supposed to be a sort of a light-hearted bit of small talky banter, but it's, it's sort of, um, belies the horrific nature of, uh, of the image that he's, he's conjuring up there in such a sort of light-hearted way. So there's a, a real... Uh, again, that's him being very tactless. So uh, I've been working like a Japanese prisoner of war, but a happy one, basically trying to say that he's been very busy.
5: Would you, would you like a second series of you chat I,
3: <laughs> I think he'll be a bit tougher than that, Lin.
2: I think he'll be a bit tougher than that, Lin. I think he'll be a bit tougher than that, Lynn. Tougher. You know, to be tough is like to be difficult. I think you'll be a bit tougher than that, Lynn.
5: We might. Give you second service. <laughs> That's
3: about right. <laughs> OK, uh, small talk. Uh, would you like a Cuban cigar, Tony? Oh,
5: yes, please.
3: Roll on the thighs of a virgin.
2: <laughs> Again, this is Alan attempting to be sort of uh, bawdy, as he puts it, which is sort of like laddish and uh, sort of... Um, I don't know, it's the sort of conversation that you can imagine a very old-fashioned um, executive businessman would have in his office when he's entertaining some male guest of his, and they end up they talk about this sort of thing, they share cigars and they, would you like a Cuban cigar rolled on the thighs of a virgin? Uh, but it's, you know, especially for Lynn, who is shocked by this sort of thing, it's, it's uh, again, very jarring and just weird to say.
3: I'm being bawdy, Lynn. Enjoy it. <laughs> Well, uh, he might make that noise. Be a bit weird.
2: <laughs> so, Lynn attempts to, uh, you know, pretend to be enjoying the banter and kind of goes, huh, huh, and Partridge goes, "Well, he he might make that noise. Be a bit weird." So, just putting her down for her acting skills.
3: Right. Uh, you said you might give me a second series. Why is there any doubt?
5: Things have to be compartmentalised, Alan.
2: Things have to be com- compartmentalised. Things have to be put into their right compartments, meaning things have to be organised.
5: You know, for example, in this drawer.
2: You... So this is this is the point where there's that running joke where uh, she just sort of says, "For example, in this drawer," and she opens the drawer. There's something in there that is shocking, but you know, never mind. It's just a visual gag, really. <laughs> you um,
5: you have um, things and um, those some- um. Sometimes you have too many things.
3: Uh, Abandon that then, it's not working. Uh, Okay, doomsday scenario. You, Tony Ayres, have decided not to give me another television series.
2: This is a doomsday scenario. Doomsday scenario. Doomsday is like the end of the world. So a doomsday scenario. Like worst case scenario.
3: Why? Be tough.
5: Well, Alan, the ratings for the first series started poorly and went downhill from there.
2: So this is true, um, and Alan suddenly is sort of very shocked and uh, uh, dismayed to, to hear Lynn saying this, and he can't handle it. This is the thing. He just the reality is the chat show was a disaster, but Alan can't handle this this reality, and so even in this fantasy version, he's kind of it, it, it freaks him out.
3: Are you being Lynn or Tony? <laughs> Tony. Bill Lynn again. Can I have a second series? But
5: who am I? Just say yes. Yes.
2: Thank you. <laughs> All right, so he ends up forcing her to say yes, even though even in the fantasy version it doesn't quite go right. Now, we're nearing the end of this episode, but I need to do one more clip, and this is Alan's real meeting with Tony Hare's. And this is one of the the, part, the clips from this show that many people know. It's quite a famous um, clip, this one, because there are certain things that happen. So um, in this one, Alan has finally got his meeting with Tony Hares at the BBC. He expects, again, to be told that he's getting a second series. We all suspect that he won't get it, even though he's certain he will. And he's just bought a five-bedroom house. Alan is clearly out of his depth in this BBC restaurant where everyone is an executive in a suit. So Alan is clearly out of his depth. And Alan attempts to appear sophisticated, but he gets everything wrong. It becomes clear that Alan doesn't have a second series, and he kind of loses it. He sort of seems to have a slight mental breakdown at that point. He then attempts to pitch a number of other shows that he has in mind, but they're all terrible. To pitch something is like to present something as a sort of a, a, like a sales presentation. So he, he, he pitches his ideas for some other shows, but they're all awful. And they just get steadily worse and worse. And the the ideas he has for his shows are all, in many cases, absolute cliches. Like the kinds of shows that we always get. And maybe even cliches that have been exaggerated a bit. Like you get certain sort of um, uh, slightly, uh, uh, what's the word, contrived TV show ideas. Like, for example, uh, cooking, but in a different environment. Like cooking in school or cooking in the jungle. And Alan's ideas start to get ridiculous, like cooking in prison and other things like that. And, I mean, since this show came out, TV has gone a bit weird and you end up with, like, some some strange um, TV show th- ideas, like Naked and Afraid, which is like people naked in a jungle environment and they have to survive. Like, what? Uh, you couldn't make it up, but uh, there it is. Anyway, you hear some of Alan's ridiculous TV show ideas and um, you see something kind of click with Alan and he ends up losing it and he punches Tony Hares with a piece of cheese and he sort of sticks his fork in this cheese that's on the table and he's and he says um you know do you like cheese uh you know smell the cheese smell smell my cheese smell my cheese you mother uh which is like it's just a funny insult because like I guess Alan is trying to be cool he's trying to do a sort of action movie quip you know like the way Action movies, always, what well, they'll do something and then they'll say something awesome. Like, you know, you forgot to say please, you know, that sort of thing. Um, well, this is Alan attempting to do that and attempting to use kind of cool action movie language. And he says, smell my cheese, you mother. <laughs> so he, uh, he can't be cool. He, he always ends up being kind of awkward. So here are some things to watch out for. Watch out for how Alan attempts to appear classy, by talking about wine and other things and how in fact he just reveals that he's got no class or sophistication at all and watch out for alan's ridiculous ideas for tv shows which are now in fact similar to stupid tv shows that exist in the real world today
3: piss so it's slightly less rude would you like a drink first uh, thank you. Um, um i'll have a pint of bitter and, uh, just a mineral water for me, please. Good, sir. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll have a mineral water too. Yeah. Okay. Will you be having wine with your meal? Not for me. No. No. Oh, all this wine nonsense! You get all these wine people, don't you? You know, wine this, wine that. You know, let's have a bit of red. Let's have a bit of white. You know, oh, that's a snazzy bouquet. You know, oh, this smells of I don't know, basil. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to say, oh, sod all this wine. Just give me a pint of. Mineral water.
4: (laughs) I don't think wine's the elitist thing anymore. You can get good wine in Tesco's now. I'd love to make a genuinely popular wine program. Can I just shock you? I like wine. Despite what
3: I just said earlier. <laughs> At any one time, I have nine bottles of wine in my house. Really? Interesting
4: fact. It's my weakness, I'm afraid. I've got a cellar. Yeah, so have I. There's no wine in it. Yeah, it's just a
3: couple of bikes, some smokeless fuel, and uh, or a bag of cement.
4: <laughs> Gone hard.
3: Are you ready to order?
4: Um, yes, I think I'll have the fettuccine alla arrabbiata, please. Okay. And can I have the same?
3: Uh, but, but no, with, dif- with different shaped pasta. What do you call this p- p- pasta in, in, in bows? It's sort of like a bow tie, but but but, but miniature. It's sort of like an action man bow tie. Fartley. Yeah, that's just, That with with action man bow tie. Right. Anything else? Um. Yeah, I think I'll have some wine. Actually. Yeah. Um. No, no. Uh, just give me a half a bottle of blue nun, please. <laughs> I loved your uh, article in The Guardian, by the way. Really? Yes. I love that phrase you used. It was very, very clever, where you said, uh, revolution, not
4: evolution. No, it was the opposite. Evolution, not revolution. Well, no, whatever. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that,
3: because, that, because that is me. You know, because I evolve, but I don't... <laughs> revolve. <laughs> or vice versa. You know. well, I suppose what you're trying to say is,
4: You don't want another Chris Evans on your hands? No, that is what we want. I'm your man. (laughs) That's what I wanted to talk about, Alan, your career. I can see a lot of very exciting opportunities ahead for you. Really, I can. Can I just say, this is music to my ears.
3: What are you doing? What are you doing? Pouring the wine out. I want you to pour a little bit. Let me sip it and then pour the rest. Well, I've already poured hot. It's, It's all right. That's fine, Filler her up. <laughs> oh, here's to our future relationship at the BBC. Yeah,
4: I, I don't think you should see your future just at the BBC, Alan. I just think it's time for you to consider moving on to new pastures. H- h- have I got a second series? There's so many opportunities I, no, for no, no, me.
3: no, let, 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 let me rephrase that. Um, can I... No, actually, I'll just repeat the question. Have I got a second series? <laughs> no. Oh, thank you.
4: Oh, that's nice, Tony. Oh, Peter. Hello. How are you? Fine, fine. Um, uh, Alan, this is Peter Linnane. He's revamping our current affairs output. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we haven't met, but I liked your church show. Well, thank
0: you very much. Has he given you another series? No, he won't give me one. <laughs> <laughs> give him another series, you swine. <laughs> yeah,
3: give me another series, you shit. <laughs>
4: I don't want you to feel that the... I'll see you later, please. I um, don't want you to feel that the doors have all closed here at the BBC. If you come up with anything else, then please, I don't want you to...
2: At that point, Alan has like a little daydream. It's kind of like uh, every now and then in the show, he sort of drifts away and he kind of has this weird little daydream, but then he comes back and uh, we carry on.
4: (laughs) Don't hesitate. If you have any other ideas, I'd I'd be very interested... Got them here. Got them here. Right.
3: Uh, Right, OK. Shoestring, Taggart, Spender, Bergerac, Morse. What does that say to you about regional detective series? There's too many of them. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, Another way of looking at it is, people like them, let's make some more of them. Um, A detective series based in Norwich called Swallow. (laughs) Swallow is, uh, is a detective who tackles vandalism. Bit of a maverick, not afraid to break the law if he thinks it's necessary. Um, you know, he's, he's not a criminal, you know, but you know, he, he will perhaps travel at 80 miles an hour on the motorway if, he, for example, he, he wants to get somewhere quickly. <laughs> think about it. No, no one had heard of Oxford before Inspector Morse. I mean, this, this will put Norwich on the map.
4: Why would I want to do that?
3: Yep, fair point.
4: Okay,
3: um, right, Alan Attack. Like the cook reports, but with a more slapstick approach. <laughs> uh, arm wrestling with Chaz and Dave. I don't think so. Pity, because they were, they were very keen on that one. Right, now, you you, you like this. Right. Knowing ME, knowing you. I, Alan Partridge, talk to ME sufferers about the condition. Um, you know, we, we intersperse it with their favourite pop songs, make it light-hearted, you know, give them a platform. You, 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 you've got to keep the energy up, because you can't... Can, you don't like it. That's all right. No, That's okay. no, no. Inner city sumo. What's that? We take fat people from the inner cities, put them in big nappies and then uh, get them to throw each other out of a circle that we draw with chalk on the ground. And then it's a bad idea. Uh, very cheap to make. <laughs> do it in a pub car park. No. no. If you don't do it, sky work. Well, I'll live with that. Is that, that it? it? Well, uh, no, no, no. Um, cooking in prison. LAUGHTER oh, <no. laughs> A uh, 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 Partridge Amongst the Pigeons. What's that? Well, it's just a title. I mean, um, <laughs> no, no uh, Opening sequence me in Trafalgar Square, feeding the pigeons, going, oh, God. No, no I'm sorry. No, stop. Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> um, um, uh, youth hostelling with Chris Eubank <laughs>
4: <laughs> Monkey tennis? There is to be no second series. And I've listened to your ideas, I've listened to them all, and I haven't liked a single one. Tony, I've 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 just bought a house. It's like
3: it's got a Buck Rogers toilet. One yank, all gone.
4: We don't owe you a living. You are someone who has a proven track record for making mostly bad television programmes. That's that's, that's bollocks. No, it's it's, it's not bollocks. Your, Your programmes were appalling. The ratings were ninth of what we could have expected. They started badly, they,
1: they got worse. They started
3: badly, yeah, they got worse. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, your programmes, your programmes. Now you're making a fool of yourself.
4: Huh? <laughs> uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> well, unfortunately for you, I am the chief commissioning editor of BBC Television.
3: Oh, let's forget about all this. <laughs> some
4: cheese
3: no thank you it's quite nice mm, smells do you, to, do you want to smell it no thank you smell the cheese no i don't want to smell, it.
4: smell my cheese alan, please, smell my
3: cheese oh. you mother I, I think that's quite enough thank you i've
1: got cheese
2: this is cheese <laughs> okay and alan runs out of the the building uh holding the cheese going i've got cheese this is cheese." okay right now that may be a little tricky i am going to go through this again and let's see where were we where are we okay this is when he just enters the bbc okay then all right let's do this come on let's 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 uncover this and we're not finished because there's at least one more scene after this that i have to do and then that will be the end of the episode all right now uh let's go through that scene again and let's break it down
5: what if tony Hare sees put past badtridge painted on the car
3: don't worry, Lynn, I'll play it there. So
2: they're just entering and the BBC.
3: Partridge, I can't understand, but then cock and piss.
2: So, Alan, is uh, as he's walking into the restaurant with Tony Hayes, he's explaining uh, how he's covered up the uh, graffiti on his car that said cock, piss, partridge, which is not a good idea to, to say that. Table
3: for two, sir? Yes, please. Uh, no, sorry, you. Yeah, you, you, name you, of Hayes. like to follow me? Yeah. We managed to rectify that it, though, because it now says, by adapting it, it now says cook where it once said cock, and uh, it, says, it says pass now, where, uh, where it once said piss, so it's slightly like less rude. Would you like a drink first? Ah, thank you. So Alan is,
2: is attempting to f- try and work out the, the right tone to use when talking to Tony Hares. He doesn't know how to kind of uh, speak on his level. He's trying to assess what he should be doing at the, at the table as well. He doesn't know what kind of drink to, to order. He's, he's absolutely out of his depth. So he's trying to f- predict what the right drink will be. And he ends up with just, I, I, you know what? I'll have a pint of bitter so he does that because it's sort of like he's desperately trying to work out what he should be drinking. And that's miles off. That's definitely far. Off. But actually, it doesn't matter. He could have just ordered anything he wanted. He doesn't need to try and pander to Tony Hares like this, but you know, this is just Alan Partridge. And he's so he's trying to read the situation. And attempting to work out whether he should be ordering wine or what his attitude should be towards wine. Constantly trying to work out what Tony Hares thinks about things and adapting himself. I mean, the fact is that Tony, Tony Hares and Alan uh, uh, see everything completely differently. But Tony's constantly trying to work out what uh, Tony's thinking. So he can basically mirror his opinions in order to try and maybe, you know, get a, a series out of him. So at this point, we hear, hear Alan ordering the pint of bitter Uh, and then changing his mind when Tony Hares orders something else.
3: Um, I'll have a pint of bitter. (laughs) Uh, Just a mineral water for me, please. Actually, actually, I'll have a mineral water, too. Will you be having wine with your meal? Not for me.
2: So, because Tony doesn't order wine, Alan assumes wrongly that Tony Hares doesn't like wine and doesn't like wine people, and so he attempts to, you know, say, "Oh, it's annoying, isn't it? All these wine people. Oh, you know, let's have some white, let's have some red. That's a snazzy bouquet. That smells of basil or whatever." And Tony then casually reveals, "Oh, I, I love wine. I've got a cellar," meaning he's got a collection of bottles of wine under his house and alan says yeah i've got a cellar as well um doesn't have any wine in it just some smokeless fuel and some some um what is it some cement gone hard and an old bicycle which is like the typical stuff that you find in the cellar in a house in england it would be like an old bike some smokeless fuel and maybe some cement that's gone hard so was, you know i've got a cellar and alan, alan is attempting to keep up with tony Hares, but he sort of gets it wrong and it's i've got a cellar too it doesn't but it, it just has an old bicycle in it
3: Oh, all this wine nonsense! You, know, you got all these wine people, don't you? You know, you know wine this, wine that. You know. Let's have a bit of red. Let's have a bit of white. You know, oh, that's a snazzy bouquet. You know, oh, this smells of, I don't know, basil. You know. Sometimes you just want to say, oh, sod all this wine. Just give me a pint of mineral water.
4: <laughs> I don't think wine's the elitist thing anymore. You can get good wine in Tesco's now. I'd love to make a genuinely popular wine program. Can I just shock you? I like wine. <laughs> despite what I just said earlier.
3: At any one time, I have nine bottles of wine in my house. Really? Interesting fact.
4: Uh, it's my weakness, I'm afraid. I've got a cellar. Yeah, so have I. There's no wine in it. It's just a
3: couple of bikes, some smokeless fuel, and uh, or a bag of cement.
4: Gone hard. Are you ready to order? Um, yes, I think I'll have the fettuccine alla please. Okay. And can I have the same?
3: <laughs> uh, but, but no, with, dif- with different shaped pasta. What do you call this P- pasta in, in, in bows?
2: So Alan's ordering the same pasta dish, because he's got no clue. Uh, but he's, he's attempting to seem sophisticated by you know, trying to ask for an, an, a modification to the to the uh, the dish, saying, I'd like it with different pasta, please. Um, you know, and he, but he doesn't know the name of the pasta that he wants. So he ends up trying to describe it. And he says, it's like a bow tie, you know, like action man bow tie. Action man is a toy. It's like a little miniature soldier that kids play with. And you can imagine farfalle could work as a bow tie for an action man. So he calls it action man bow tie. Um, revealing again, he he doesn't know what he's talking about.
3: It's so like a bow tie, but but but, but miniature. It's yeah, sort of like an action man bow tie. Perfectly, <laughs> yeah, perfectly. That, <laughs> that with with action man bow tie. <laughs> right. Anything else? Um, yeah, I think I'll have some wine actually. Yes. Um...
2: So he's looking at the menu but it doesn't make any sense to him so he just opts to opts for a bottle of blue nun half a bottle of blue Nun. blue nun is uh, like really cheap wine really awful wine that you might buy in the corner shop it's just the really crap uh white wine uh, so uh it just you know a terrible choice it shows that he, his only knowledge of wine is something like blue nun <sighs>
3: Uh, Just give me half a bottle of Blue Nun, please. (laughs) I loved your uh, article in The Guardian, by the way. Really? I loved that phrase you used. It was very, very clever, where you said, uh, revolution, not
4: evolution. No, it was the opposite. Evolution, not
2: revolution. (laughs) A huge mistake to make, because obviously it's a huge difference between evolution, not revolution, and revolution, not evolution they're two different things uh, i guess opposed to each other in some way uh but um alan attempts to save the situation going well i agree with you because you know it's it's exactly like me because i evolve but and then he realizes that he's gone too far and it doesn't make sense i evolve but i don't revolve if you revolve it means you go round and round turning round like a like a record player so I, it, it's exactly right for me because I don't, uh, I evolve, but I don't revolve. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And then he kind of says, "Well, basically, what you're saying is you don't want another Chris Evans on your hands." Chris Evans was a radio DJ uh, on BBC Radio who was quite controversial, and he did some unpredictable things, and he got sacked by the BBC, um, and it was a bit of a controversy at the time. And Alan's saying, "What you don't want is another Chris Evans on your hands." And then Tony says, "Well, that's exactly what we do want." And Tony and uh, Alan. Does a U turn immediately and he goes, I'm your man. So, you know, he's just desperately trying to work out what Tony wants and trying to appeal to him.
0: Whatever. You know, uh, that,
3: that, because, that, because that is me. You know, because I evolve, but I don't <laughs> revolve. Or well, vice versa, you know. I suppose what you're trying to say is, you don't want another
4: Chris Evans on your hands. No, that is what we want. I'm your man. <laughs> that's what i wanted to talk about Alan. your career i can see a lot of very exciting opportunities ahead for you really
3: i can can i just say this is music to my ears
2: (laughs) so at this point the waiter starts pouring the the blue nun into the glass and he's pouring the whole glass out and alan wants to do the whole ritual of having a little bit poured into the glass tasting it and then nodding to the waiter uh to 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 let him know that it's okay to to uh, fill his glass but the waiter has basically filled alan's glass and he's like whoa, whoa what are you doing I, wanted, I want you to put a little bit in first so i can taste it and instead alan's like, oh well never mind and he just literally downs a whole glass of blue nun like drinks the whole glass puts it on the table and he goes yeah that's fine fill her up fill her up now that's what you would say to a, a guy in a garage if your car is empty of fuel you'd say yep yeah, fill her up and so you know you wouldn't say fill her up for a glass of wine
3: What are you doing? What are you doing? Pouring the wine out. I want you to pour a little bit. Let me sip it and then pour the rest. Well, I've already poured hot. It's it's all right. (laughs) That's fine, fill her up. (laughs) Here's to our future relationship at the BBC
2: here's to our future relationship at the bbc that's what you'd say when you're proposing a toast you raise your glass here's to blah 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 here's to you know steve here's to our future relationship at the bbc and he raises his glass but tony doesn't raise his glass and alan kind of looks a bit put out
4: yeah i I don't think you should see your future (laughs) just at the bbc alan i just think it's time for you to consider moving on to new pastures how have i got a second service there's so many opportunities no no no, (laughs) actually let, let, let me let me rephrase that um Can I... No, actually, I'll
3: just repeat the question. Have I got a second series? No. Thank you.
4: Oh, tony? Oh,
2: peter. at this point someone called peter comes in and he's another executive at the bbc and he shares some sort of you know lofty conversation some chit chat with tony tony and you know like this is peter he's just revamped our current affairs some important executive position and uh, t- uh peter's like oh alan i i liked your chat show is he giving you another series and he says no he won't give me one and then peter's like you know this jovial Um, uh, This jovial small talk Says oh give him another series you swine A swine is a kind of not very offensive um, Insult word And then Alan chips in with Yeah give me another series you shit Which is pretty good
4: Fine fine Um, uh, Alan this is Peter Linnan He's revamping our current affairs (laughs) output We uh, we haven't met But I liked your chat show
0: well, thank you very much. Has he given you another series? No, he won't give me one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> give him another series, you swine. <laughs> yeah, give me another series, you shit.
4: <laughs> Look, Alan, I... Don't, I don't want you to feel that the... I'll see you later, please. Yes, I, am. Um, i want you to feel that the doors have all closed here at the bbc if you come up with anything else then please i don't want
2: you okay that's where alan had his has his little daydream and then um tony says you know have you got any other ideas which is quite nice and then alan of course has other ideas which are pretty stupid and ridiculous but you might not get them because i think they're quite specific to like uk stuff
3: uh right okay Shoestring, Taggart, Spender, Bergerac, Morse.
2: So these are all detective TV shows. We have loads of detective TV shows in the UK. There's, lo- there's so many of them, and they've, they're very unoriginal, and it's kind of lazy broadcasting, just very easy, kind of uh, unoriginal sorts of shows. And there are too many of them, basically. Everybody knows. And Alan pitches an idea for a TV detective series, which is very clichéd, like completely clichéd and stupid as well, saying, like, this uh, detective who is willing to like he's a maverick he doesn't play by the rules for example he's willing to drive 80 miles an hour uh, on a motorway if he wants to get somewhere really quickly that's like 10 miles an hour breaking the speed limit so it's he's not really much of a maverick
3: what does that say to you about regional detective series there's too many of them that's one way of looking at it. Uh, another way of looking at it is, people like them, let's make some more of them. Um, a detective series based in Norwich called Swallow. <laughs> Swallow is, uh, is a detective who tackles vandalism. Bit of a maverick. Not afraid to break the law if he thinks it's necessary. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a criminal, you know, but you know, he, he will perhaps travel at 80 miles an hour on the motorway if, he, for example, he wants to get somewhere quickly. <laughs> but think about it. Look, no one had heard of Oxford before Inspector Morse. <laughs> I mean th- this this will put Norwich on the map.
4: Why would I want to do that?
3: Yep, fair point. <laughs> okay, um right, Allen attack.
2: OK, now this one, he says, it's like The Cook Report with a more slapstick approach. The Cook Report was a TV show in which a, a journalist went to people's front doors and confronted them. So it's like businessmen who cheated, uh, cr- you know, dodgy cr- uh, criminal plumbers and stuff, and he'd go and confront them. So Alan Attack would be like The Cook Report with a more slapstick approach, which suggests that he would be going to people's front doors and, like, jumping on them or attacking them or something.
3: Like The Cook Report with a more slapstick approach. LAUGHTER no, Arm wrestling with
2: Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Dave are sort of musicians from the East End of London, and they would do. They were like minor celebrities in the UK. Arm wrestling with Chaz and Dave—that's just ridiculous. Arm wrestling—you know—that's when two people uh, lock arms over a table and attempt to push the other one's hand to the to the surface of the table. Arm wrestling with Chaz and Dave. I mean, it's ridiculous, but you could imagine it happening in a, in a way. And he says it's a pity because they were very keen on that. I don't
4: think so.
3: Pity because they were they were very keen on that one. Right now you you like you like this, right. knowing me, knowing you,
2: knowing me. So you know the TV show, knowing me, knowing you. Well, this is knowing me, knowing you. Me is a sort of mysterious a condition that affects a lot of people. It's actually very serious. And it's, I guess they call it these days, chronic fatigue syndrome. And that's when people are just terribly tired, but there's not any obvious reason why chronic fatigue syndrome or ME. So this is a terrible idea for a TV show, knowing ME, knowing you with Alan Partridge. This is where Alan Partridge uh, does a show for sufferers of ME. And they uh, have, uh, you know, give give them a platform, you have their favorite music and you've got to keep the energy up. Oh, that's the kind of uh, the the joke in there.
3: I, Alan Partridge, talk to ME sufferers uh, about the condition. Um, You know, we we intersperse it with their favourite pop songs, make it light hearted. you know, give them a platform. You've got to keep the energy up because you can't. You you don't like it. That's all right. Inner City Sumo. What's that? We take fat people from the inner cities, put them in big nappies, and then uh, get them to throw each other out of a circle that we draw with chalk on the ground.
4: No, it's a bad idea. Very cheap to make.
3: <laughs> do it in a pub car park. No. no. If you don't do it, Sky will. Well, I'll live with that. What? Is that it? What? Uh, no. 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 Um, cooking in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, a partridge amongst the pigeons. What's that?
2: A Partridge Amongst the Pigeons sounds like quite a nice title, because there is a phrase uh, to put a, a cat amongst the pigeons, and that would be to create a situation that gets out of control. You certainly put a cat amongst the pigeons, so in this case it's a partridge amongst the pigeons, but it's just a name. He doesn't actually have any idea for the show beyond the opening titles of the show, which would be him standing in Trafalgar Square, which is a place famous for having lots of pigeons. It's just him in Trafalgar Square going, Oh God! Which is exactly the kind of thing we've seen on TV so many times some presenter in trafalgar square with the pigeons and they're going oh god i'm in trafalgar square you know so he hasn't even got an idea beyond just the name of this one
3: it's a title i mean um <laughs> no, no it, uh, opening sequence me in trafalgar square feeding the pigeons going oh god no, no i'm sorry no stop youth hosteling with chris <laughs> eubank
2: <laughs> youth hosteling youth hostels are like very very cheap hotels uh play, you know like basically bunk bed uh, dormitory rooms where you can stay if you're a young person traveling you stay in a youth hostel youth hosteling with chris eubank chris eubank was like a celebrity boxer it's a really terrible idea
3: monkey tennis <laughs>
2: So, obviously, this is the most ridiculous one. He's run out of ideas. He's absolutely desperate. He just comes up with monkey tennis, which would be like... I would watch that, though. I would actually watch monkey tennis. Um, All right. So, uh, Tony Hayes is not impressed, and he says, I've listened to all your ideas, and uh, I don't like any of them. There
4: is to be no second series, and I've listened to your ideas, I've listened to them all, and I haven't liked a single one. Tony, I've
3: I've I've just bought a house. It's like it's got a Buck Rogers toilet.
2: (laughs) The house has got a Buck Rogers toilet. Buck Rogers was a, like a science fiction TV show uh, featuring a guy called Buck Rogers who was from the 21st century, I think so. Anyway, he was from the future. So I've just bought a house. It's got a Buck Rogers toilet, meaning it's got a very impressive futuristic toilet.
4: One yank, all gone. We don't owe you a living. You are someone who has a proven track record for making mostly bad television programmes. That, that's, that's, that's bollocks. No, it's, gone. It's, it's not bollocks. Your, your programmes were appalling. The ratings were ninth of what we could have expected. They started badly, they, they got worse. They started
3: badly, yeah, they got worse. <laughs> uh, your programmes, your programmes.
4: Now you're making a fool of yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> well, unfortunately for you, I am the Chief Commissioning Editor of BBC Television.
3: Oh, let's forget about all this. <laughs> oh,
2: let's forget about all this. Oh, and then he grabs the cheese.
3: Got some cheese? No, thank you. That's quite nice. Mm, smells. Do you, want to, do you want to smell it? No, thank you. Smell the cheese? No, I don't want to smell it. Smell uh, my cheese, Adam, please. Smell, a... smell my cheese, oh, you mother. I, I think that's quite enough. Thank you. I've got cheese. This is cheese.
1: <laughs>
2: Okay, there's Alan running out going, I've got cheese, this is cheese. Okay, we're going to do the last uh, clip we're going to do in this episode. I've got to move fairly quickly because we're going quite long here. This is Alan and Lynn in the car after the the, the terrible Tony Hare's meeting. And uh, Alan is sitting in the car uh, with uh, Lynn, I think in the car park, maybe of the uh, the BBC or the car park of the uh, of the travel tavern. And um, Alan's sitting with Lynn and Lynn is attempting to... Um, be sympathetic to Alan and trying to help him feel better. But Alan is devastated about this. And he sits there and he, he um, you know, he's, he's saying, you know, that was a negative and right now I need two positives. So again, this is Alan speaking in slightly dramatic sort of Hollywood language to an extent. That was a negative and right now I need two positives. And then he says, you know, and then he explains. He says, um, one to one canc- to cancel out the negative and another one just so I can have a positive. And then, um, you know, Lynn is attempting to console him. And Alan says, you know, I just want to be able to say, you know, I'm Alan Partridge. Join me as tonight my guests are, I don't know, Chris Rhea. Chris Rhea is a, is a guitarist and pop star from the UK. And so Alan is imagining that he could uh, invite Chris Rhea onto his show that he's fantasizing about. And, um, he fantasises then about calling Chris Rea. He says, I think Chris lives in the area. I could call him. And then he imagines having a conversation with Chris Rea, this pop star. And in his imagined conversation, he invites Chris to a barbecue. But the invitation ends in an argument. And again, even his imaginary exchanges go all wrong. So watch out for how Alan somehow imagines his life a bit like a Hollywood thriller. That was a negative, And right now I need two positives. Uh, check out the imagined conversation with Chris Rea that goes wrong. And then check out the way that Alan at the end says, come on, Lynn, I'll drop you at a cab rank. He says, I'll, I'll take you to a taxi rank, a, t- a taxi place. He's not even going to give Lynn a lift home. He'll drop her at a taxi station. So she has to get a taxi home. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's just always uh, horrible to Lynn. So let's listen to that sketch or that scene right now.
3: I wasn't expecting that, Lynn. That was a negative, and right now I need two positives. <laughs> you know, one, two, cancel out the negative, and another one, you know, just so can I can have a positive. <laughs> oh, my God.
5: You know, one can find some strength when you're at your bleakest moments, if you...
3: Open up, to new Lynn, meetings. I'm not coming
2: to your Baptist church. You always get people when they're down. Lynn is attempting to suggest that Alan might want to come to church or uh, to find faith, and that will help him at his darkest moments. But Alan's not really even willing to admit that he's having a dark moment here. But anyway, he's saying, oh, I'm not going to come to your Baptist church. You always get people when they're down.
3: Salvation. I just want to be able to say... I'm Alan Partridge. Join me tonight when my guest will be, I don't know, Chris Rea. Actually, he lives in the area. Could have had him over. Right, Chris. Hello, Alan. Didn't know you'd moved in. Yeah, just moved in last week. I'm having a barbecue. Fancy coming over? I'd love to. Do you mind if I bring my guitar? I'd rather you didn't. It's not that kind of area. Do you like mini Kievs? I love them. But my wife's vegetarian. Doesn't matter. She can have fish. No, she won't eat that either. Oh, forget it. <laughs> you people. Go on, Lena. These people are starting to annoy me. I'll tell you something. You know, they may have very nice Tudorette-style housing, but can they order an Irish coffee at 3 a.m. in the morning and get it delivered to their bedroom? Oh, no. Nope. I can. <laughs>
1: Come
3: on, I'll drop you at the cab rank. <laughs>
2: So these people might live in very nice houses, but can they order an Irish coffee uh, at 4am at or 2am and have it delivered to their hotel room? No, they can't. I can. So he's uh, attempting to make himself feel better about uh, his situation. That's the end of this episode, folks. You made it. Yes, you made it until the end. Well done. Seriously, well done for making it all the way through to the end here. It's quite long. I'm going to just stop here right now. There may be more coming. I've got more. I've got one more episode in the pipeline uh, about Alan Partridge uh, because... You know, I just got—I've got to get this out of my system. As I said before, no idea how this is coming across for you, uh, but I will find out in the comments section. Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon, but for now, goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
0: I love the Beatles.
3: Yeah, so do I. What's your favorite Beatles album? A tough one. I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,